That was the J-Cut, and this is the K-Cut, a movie podcast for movie lovers. My name is Andreas. I am the creator and one of the main writers of Films Fatal. I love art house and international cinema, but I also love a little bit of everything. And we're going to be shoving the Academy Awards down your throat this entire month or two. So I look forward to that. I consider it a bit of a guilty pleasure. Who else do I have with me? I'm Rachel. I also write for Films Fatal. I focus on international cinema and lost movies. And I am also deep in the Oscars, which is why I have no life now. Who else is here? James here, content creator and artist. I produce and release music under the A-list Boutique Paul, one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast, part of the Films Fatal writing team. And it was my pick for this week's episode. And I thought it might be fun to talk about roles that actors turn down because i always love hearing stories about you know movies that did well or roles that were highly acclaimed and then to find out who was on the short list to be on it is always a trip because you always see you always think huh what would have happened if this person was in this movie so the first half we're going to talk about so we each picked a individual person in the first half we're going to talk about a role they turned down and we're going to just discuss things like you know Kind of how we feel about that, how if the project was better off or worse off because of it, stuff along those lines. And then the second half, we're going to talk about what they decided to go with instead. And yeah, so I think I want to go last for this one. So whoever wants to start it off. I'll start us off. Mm-hmm. You guys, Liam Neeson turned down James Bond. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Whoa. no. laughs> when? <laughs> Now, it was in the 90s. It was around the time that uh, they were doing the process that would eventually result in Pierce Brosnan being James Bond, which I think Aww. he was pretty good in that role. Like, yeah, I'll give him that. But Liam Neeson? But Neeson was on. <laughs> I don't know how far he got in the process, whether he auditioned or he was offered the role or he was just on a list, but he didn't turn it down for a role. What he said was his wife, Natasha Richardson, who has sadly passed away, said, basically, if you take on James Bond, it is going to be the end of our marriage. And he thought about this, and he did not go further in the proceedings. So he did have a shot at James Bond, and he chose not to take it. Oh, wow. That said, he would have been amazing. I think we all know this. So the first one he would have been in is whatever, what was it, GoldenEye? GoldenEye. Yeah, wow. Um, How would that have looked? I feel like whether it went with the uh, the more fun, playful side that we got with uh, Pierce Brosnan or not, if it was something a little bit different. I don't know. Liam Neeson, especially because we've seen so much action stuff from him, mm-hmm. I feel like he would have killed it. And he's had roles where he had to be really suave, like Bond. So I think that he could have pulled that part off really well. You know, I could I could totally imagine him being super handsome and wearing tuxes and picking up Bond girls and all of that stuff. That's wild. Turn down Bond. That's I actually crazy. didn't know that. Yeah. And it was all for personal reasons. And we'll get into this more in the second half, but I think that uh, you can kind of see that in the work he did do. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting because we do get a little glimpse of what it might have been like in the fact that he became an action star in like his 50s with Taken. And now he's known, I think, more for being an action star than just about anything else, at least to casual film fans. Oh, definitely. It seems like that's his main thing now. It seems like every role post-Taken is just another take on Taken. Pretty much. You know why that is, though? Um, and it's it's actually a very sad story. That This also has to do with Natasha Richardson. Um, after she passed away uh, very suddenly and... Uh, it's one of those things where all of Hollywood was at a standstill when it happened because it just 
you know, a terrible accident happened to like such a, such a wholesome, loving person. And, um, I remember that he announced even pretty early on that that was his only catharsis after her passing. That was the one thing that took his mind off of it was doing action films. And that's kind of why he started to keep doing that. So, um, similarly, uh, it seems that he has based his entire career on the love of his wife, which I mean, is such a, such an enduring, you know, wholesome thing, but it's also really sad at the same time. Well, you never know. Maybe he'll show up as like a Bond villain or something in, uh, in an upcoming version. Cause, uh, I, I do know that they are discussing who's going to be Bond next and his name are you listening, uh, sadly Hollywood? hasn't brought up. <laughs> hey, it doesn't matter how old he is. I would love to see him, even even as like a a one off, a one off thing. Like just see him, in, seeing him in one Bond film would be amazing. But only if he gets to kill Bond. <laughs> he should have been in No Time to Die, and it should have been uh, a plenty time to die at the hand of William Neeson. So that that would have been amazing. Um, I guess we will find out what he ended up doing instead soon. So I'm going to go next, and uh, this one I only discovered uh, today, actually. So, um, and it's going to be a little, I feel like it's going to be a little obvious what the follow-up is going to be once I announce who and what, but uh, Tom Hanks wasn't always going to be Forrest Gump. So initially, when, um, when Zemeckis and company were making the now Best Picture winning film that everybody for generations and generations have adored. Um, another leading man was supposed to be Forrest Gump. And it actually makes sense because uh, Tom Hanks pre-Philadelphia was kind of seen as like a, maybe like a, a sillier rom-com type of actor. Philadelphia happened and I kind of uh, brought in the new age of Tom Hanks. So him doing Forrest Gump, Maybe he didn't seem too normal at first, but now like we can't separate him from the character. But the actual person who was supposed to be Forrest Gump, <laughs> and this is this is a riot, um, John Travolta. I actually read about this before we recorded today, and I was like, what? I want to watch that so bad. I want an alternate universe where I can see this movie. So John Travolta, who has made so many questionable career choices i feel like because he was on the like the rise of his first of many renaissances was starting i feel like once things were actually taking place he was like hey listen i don't know if i should be doing this this could be career suicide so i'm gonna back out and they actually took a while to find their next Forrest Gump, which ultimately was Tom Hanks. And we can't imagine anybody else ever since. But what do you guys think Forrest Gump would have been like with uh, John Travolta or, you know, as Oprah says, John Travolta, uh, you know, as Forrest Gump, how amazing or terrible would that be? Uh, well, first of all, can you imagine if the stars had aligned so that he had played Forrest Gump and then been in Pulp Fiction the same year? <laughs> well, that, that that would have been crazy for sure. That would that wouldn't make sense. I I can't see him in that movie. Why not? I think it's because John Travolta has. I don't. I think he has too much charisma to play a role like Forrest Gump. I don't think he'd be able to like 
I'd say he'd have to restrain himself in a way that I don't think would really translate well. That's interesting because uh, one of the other ones that I considered, but this one's kind of old hat at this point, uh, Will Smith in The Matrix, he was supposed to be Neo. Uh, he actually said that, you know, on this one of these many press tours, I don't know if it was for King Richard because Resurrections is out now or for, for something else, but he has gone on record to say Keanu Reeves was perfect for the role. Uh, I probably would have been too young and overacted that role when it called for something more, you know, like sublime or allowing the film to take form around you. And maybe that could have been the case for Travolta, like you're saying, where he could have tried to be the center in a film where life is supposed to kind of exist around Forrest Gump. And he accidentally changes history and is a part of so much. And that doesn't really call for, yeah, charismatic and uh, leading man type of type of um, energy. So, which is weird if you think about it, because when you think of Tom Hanks, is he not the most like charming actor of our time who exudes that type of magneticism? So in a weird way, he still pulls it off. That would be so wild though. John Travolta is Tom Hanks. I can only picture <laughs> it basically as a meme. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Or just like, I can just imagine some of the lines in his voice. Hey, you know what they say? Life is like a box of chocolates. I think it would just be like really bad. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the that's the thing. And they'd have to put in a dance number. <laughs> yeah, like the whole Elvis bit would like be like an actual like like Grease type musical thing. Uh, it just, it wouldn't work. Hey, you know what they say? I just had to keep running. I had to keep running, Sandy. Like, it's just it's terrible. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're moving we're on. <laughs> we're moving on. Uh, uh, James, what's yours? So the thing that actually inspired this was what you brought up, where Will Smith famously turned on Neo the Matrix, and he ended up doing Wild Wild West instead, and we all know how that turned out. No. So in my research, I found something really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mr. Leonardo DiCaprio turned down Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights. Ooh, the Mark Wahlberg role? Yes. Do they say why? Oh. He was, yeah, he was, uh, he was off of the role of Dirk Diggler. He said it was because of Paul Thomas Anderson's lack of experience as a director, because the only thing he did prior was Heart Eight. And it got me thinking about this interview. I don't remember which interview it was. I think it might have been the Joe Rogan experience with Quentin Tarantino. Or it was maybe another one he interview uh, that he did, but he was talking about how uh, when Nicolas Cage did Raising Arizona, the only things the Coen brothers did was Blood Simple. And while it's a very adequate debut, that's not really a calling card to anything. It didn't make him a household name. But after that, it was like, oh, well, they did Raising Arizona. And it's kind of similar with PTA's career where it was like after Boogie Nights, he got to do whatever he wanted because of Boogie Nights. And yeah, it, it was just he didn't think he had enough experience and it was just he was nervous about it because he didn't have much work prior to that and he says he regrets it because he loves that movie and he loves paul thomas anderson movies and i just thought man boogie nights with leonardo dicaprio would have been really interesting yeah that's that's too bad however i do pose this question um do you feel like he might have been too young or like too in his teen phase where he Leonardo of the of the nineties was a very different actor than we know him now. Um, which, uh, look on paper, the idea of it seems incredible, and I'm not a Mark Wahlberg fan at all, so I'm not trying to like 
uh, shoehorn in, you know, this idea that it should only be Mark, but would Leo realistically have actually fit? No, I think he had to build his gravitas. Exactly. That's the point that I'm getting at. That's exactly how I feel, too. I think that this that would have been the role to separate him from his image at the time. Whether or not it would have gone well, I think if he had if it was if it came down to what his image called for, I think that had it been someone other than PTA with a little bit more experience and some more known, I think he would have taken it just to show he can do something other than what he did because it, it, it Leonardo DiCaprio, mind you, he's coming off of Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. And then just all his and all his stuff as a teen actor, it's like he's also known as being a pretty boy. So I think him kind of doing a more grounded role and especially something that'd be I think, honestly, it'd probably been extremely controversial if he took that role. Like that would have probably been more the focus than just whether or not he could do it. It's like, oh, he taking a role as a porn star. That would probably have been like (laughs) that would send a shockwave to everybody because they'd be like, wait, what? Whereas with Mark Wahlberg, I'd like to think that more of the weight was on, oh, Marky Muck from the from the Funky Bunch, he's acting now. Where, you yeah. know, it's a, it's a different focus and it's not really taking away from um, the real seriousness and uh, odd beauty of the film. Because, you know, it's one of those films where if you discuss the premise, like it's about the porn industry in the 70s, a lot of people would be like, yeah, no thanks. Um, yeah. But it's it's really a lot more tasteful and uh, meaningful than it seems on paper. But uh, obviously, with such a concept, it's destined to have these types of stigmas surrounding it. So, yeah, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe if this film was ever redone, or how about this? Having seen this and heard this now, maybe Leo should just do a film with him now, which he actually was supposed to do with... Um, with licorice pizza. Oh yes. Oh really? He, he was supposed to be the Bradley Cooper role. Yes, which is hilarious because he had to turn it down for Nightmare Alley, but then he had to turn that down for Don't Look Up. And who was he replaced by in Nightmare Alley? BC Bradley Cooper. He was replaced by Bradley Cooper twice. So, so Bradley Cooper's discount Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm seeing a trend. Bradley should write him a thank you note. <laughs> Twice. Um, in uh, Licorice Pizza, there's so much familial connection. Um, and I don't think you've seen it yet, right, James? I haven't yet. Um, so you you have like Cooper Hoffman, who's a Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, and other um, Hoffman family members, the Heim family and family members, uh, Mai Rudolph, who's uh, PTA's wife. But because Leo was supposed They're to They're not be actually this, married. Or his, uh, his partner, rather. Um uh, in the film still, you have, uh, even though Leo's not in it, his dad's actually in it in a very small part. That's right. That's right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. So um, interestingly, this got brought up because uh, I feel like that's like such a good example. But nonetheless, before we forget uh, what the purpose of this plot is, um, it's about finding out what they did afterwards. So in the same way that Leo ultimately ended up doing Don't Look Up at the end of the day. What did these other performers give up these films for? And did they work out? So maybe in the same order, uh, Rachel, what did Liam Neeson end up doing 
after he turned down being, of all things, James Bond. <laughs> well, it's interesting because Neeson was doing pretty well at that point. He'd been in Schindler's List, which was an um, incredible film. He got an Oscar nomination. He, he could basically do whatever he wanted. And yet those few years, he was actually pretty quiet. Um, he did a few movies, um, some TV and no theater. And I think this is partially because his kids were little at the time. That's only a guess. Um, but one thing that he did do was Michael Collins, which I have not seen, but I was reading up on it. And it was one of the biggest films ever produced in Ireland, a very important film in Ireland because it was about an important figure. Um, and it got reasonably good reviews. Julia Roberts was pretty much panned, but everything else was like, okay, this is pretty good. And Neeson won the best actor award at Venice. So even though he didn't do Bond, he was still enjoying critical and I think a little commercial success, but really the commercial success would come a little later with uh, the menace that shall not be named Phantom. Oh, yeah. I, okay. Yeah. It took, took me a second. Cause <laughs> I think my brain, my brain tried to filter the fact that that movie existed outside of the fact that it brought me uh star Wars episode one racer, which is one of the greatest racing games of all time. Otherwise, yeah, good riddance. Yeah. But anyway, it sounds <laughs> like he had a few quiet years, did what he wanted, did pretty well at it. And is now a huge, a bigger star than he's ever been. Amazing. So the answer is uh, Michael Collins. Yes, that is my pick. And I have not seen it, but I do know that it was a very good pick for Neeson. I have seen it. I've seen it a very long time ago. It's, um, it's one where the emphasis, I guess it would have been on him as well as James Bond, because that's always the question, who's going to be the next Bond and will they do a good job? But in Michael Collins, he really does steal the entire show as like, um, you know, as a central character. And yeah, yeah, no, I, I do feel like it was at least a very good pick. Not James Bond, though. No, but, you know, in the alternate universe, we would totally watch it. Yeah, on uh, my side of things, uh, did did things work out for John Travolta? In the grand scheme of things, I would argue um, not really with some of the films that he's done, but in terms of what he gave Forrest Gump up for, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, it was already brought up, so the uh, surprise isn't as big. Um, he ended up doing Pulp Fiction because his schedule opened up, and I would argue that that actually genuinely was the uh, revival of his career. Um, I feel like a lot of people were second guessing how they felt about it previously. And he was given a second chance in Hollywood. His and Bruce Willis's careers were revived with that movie because they both kind of took a downturn. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, did he do well in Pulp Fiction? As much as I'm not really a big fan of John Travolta, I would argue, yes, absolutely. He did a great job. I can't imagine anyone else as Vincent Vega. You know, Michael Madsen was originally tapped to play Vince Vega, but he turned that down. It's a little confusing because I know that Tarantino has gone on record to say that uh, his character in Reservoir Dogs and uh, Vincent in this film are meant to be related. They're brothers, I yeah, believe. Yeah, they're brothers. Yeah, so if he were to play another Vega brother, it would have been a little weird. And I, I love Michael Madsen, and I find him very, um, I find him very menacing. But I feel like Travolta has that goofiness and also that. Um, up in the air quality, which makes some of the more riveting scenes. Um, I don't want to spoil, of course, it's like oh, almost 30 years old, but still um, some of the more riveting scenes where it feels like there's like zero control and anything could happen. I feel like it, it feels 
a little bit more like that because of how Travolta perceives the scenes. I, I don't know. I feel like he's an asset to the film, which is very strange because I would rarely say that. And he dances. And he dances. He gets that twist. So, uh, yeah, there's that. So, um, what ended up happening on your end, James? Well, if you know the timeline of when Boogie Nights came out, Leo obviously turned that down to do Titanic, which became a smash hit. It's one of the biggest selling films of all time. And I, I think it was appropriate. That was a role that was more Leo's speed at the time. I mean, given his career trajectory, I, I think it was the best move to turn down Boogie Nights in the end. But it's funny. He says to this day, he still regrets turning that down. I'm just like, man, the course of history would have been so bizarre had he done Boogie Nights instead of Titanic. Because who else would have been able to do Titanic? That's a good Yeah, he, he was perfect at, at that point in his life for that role. And he and Kate Winslet were great together. So I think also I heard Gwyneth Paltrow was supposed to be in the kate winslet role or was like asked to like that would have been okay it's so weird when you hear (laughs) stories like this like oh this person was supposed to do this or asked to do this apparently madonna turned down roles in the matrix and catwoman and batman returns (laughs) you can fall down a rabbit hole so fast with these exactly um on on the note of gwyneth paltrow um i believe in shakespeare and love the uh, Joseph Fiennes character was actually, or, you know, William Shakespeare, that guy, um, was actually possibly going to be played by uh, none other than Daniel Day-Lewis, which would have been just, like, mind-boggling to think about if that actually if that actually worked out. But, like, yeah, like you said, Rachel, this is a rabbit hole of uh, so many possibilities. Um, these are only just three of them. Speaking of Gwyneth Paltrow, apparently Denzel Washington turned down a role in Seven. Like, not because of her, but like just in general. You're just saying, no, in general. I'm just saying because she was in it. Yeah, he turned on her own. No one knows what role he auditioned for, but I was like, Denzel Washington in seven probably would have been amazing. Like, imagine Uh, him instead of Morgan Freeman. The thing is, though, a lot of the things that we have brought up, um, like Dana Day Lewis turning down Shakespeare in Love, or uh, yeah, Denzel in seven, I feel like these are a lot, like, if we're looking at Brad Pitt, for instance, um, these are a lot of roles that ended up changing the careers of those who actually ended up being in them. Whereas the people who typically would turn them down either had a great trajectory of their own or um, didn't really need the extra oomph to their careers. Cause like Denzel Washington was already like a megastar at this point. So I feel like if it was a Brad Pitt oh, character, yeah. then, you know, it only did wonders to Brad Pitt, right? Brad Pitt turned down the matrix also. I feel like I feel like I might have pat- turned on the Matrix, and I just don't remember. <laughs> he, he he was offered he he was offered Neo as well, and he turned it down. Oh my goodness! Um, it seems like everybody did. Jeez. Well, well, you know why Will Smith turned it down, right? Uh, Wild Wild West. <laughs> no, it's because the he just couldn't get with the pitch that the Wachowskis made. Because I guess the pitch, the whole point of their pitch was to exploit. Their whole pitch had to do with like bullet time and the 360 camera work. And he also just kind of didn't get the movie in general. But apparently Jada was all for it and was like, you need to do this. She actually and she herself actually auditioned to be Trinity, but was turned down. But obviously they brought her back in the role she played was actually written specifically for her. Yes. So what I'm getting from this episode is always listen to your wife. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> no matter if it's Jada Pickett-Smith or Natasha Richardson. Um, I feel like 
I feel like the Matrix would have been so perfect for, um, you know, just knowing what the Smith family is like and, and the kids and, like, their open-mindedness and, like, and everything is achievable. Like, I feel like the Matrix would have just been, like, perfect for that, especially now that they're, like, getting a little older and wiser with all of that philosophy that they that they kind of share with the world. I feel like, yeah, that's that's such a Smith property. So, I don't know. I'm still tripping out. Liam Neeson turned down Bond. That's wild. We should have went with you last, Rachel. <laughs> that was just a bombshell. <laughs> that was like just like the biggest like what in the hell? Because like you know I brought up mine and everyone's like, yeah, we know. <laughs> but that that one's just that's just surreal. Mm-hmm. And unlike you guys, he didn't really turn it down for a role. I think he turned it down for a lifestyle or a life. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I, I don't know. The fact that he sounds like such a family man, I mean, warms my heart. It's a good note to end on. Um, we will also make some uh, random recommendations for what you should check out this week. Uh, but before we do that, um, in case you want to stalk us, we're going to give you our deets. Right. So we are available on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram under the K-Cut. We like to post bits of film trivia, stuff we're randomly watching, things like that. And for Cinematic Smorgasbord this month, our collective pick is Time of the Gypsies, and our individuals are Nowhere, The Red Turtle, and Holiday. Fantastic. Uh, Yeah, look forward to those. And look forward to these. Um, Who wants to go first? Who wants to give a random recommendation? Well, I'll jump back on the Liam Neeson bandwagon and recommend to you guys Nell. It is from 1994, so just before the whole Bond debacle. And it is... a. It's an interesting movie because it goes into a lot about language and linguistics, so nerds like me love it. And Jodie Foster is excellent in the lead role. It was her most recent Oscar nomination. And it actually stars both Neeson and Richardson. So that was one of the few times they worked together. Maybe the only I don't remember. Wow, actually, yeah, I didn't even know that they did star together. So uh, it might be be rare that they did. Uh, James, what about you? I'm going to go with the Liam Neeson flick as well. Okay. <laughs> so this time I'm going to go with 1991's Dark Man directed by Sam Raimi. And it is a superhero movie directed by Sam Raimi before he did Spider-Man. And it's actually an original one. Apparently he tried to get the rights to Batman and the shadow and then it didn't work out. So he just made his own superhero. It also stars pod favorite Francis McDormand. Ooh. And I like that you, uh, you prefaced it in such a way. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, not that this was supposed to be Liam Neeson hour, but why not? I'll make it a trifecta. I'm going to go with uh, the most recent film of his where he was a major starring role. That really took me aback, and I feel like it's uh, one of those films by this filmmaker that a lot of people are already viewing with a different lens, even though it's not even 10 years old. That's Silence by Martin Scorsese, which is a, a really uh, challenging, epic film, close to three hours and I feel like uh, Neeson in this film, as well as uh, then newcomers, uh, Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver, who were still, uh, you know, compared to Liam Neeson, much greener. Um, everybody kills it. It's just a fantastic film. Uh, very, again, a very challenging one with the uh, the questioning of, of religion within, uh, you know, massive hardships. And um, yeah, I feel like it's uh, it's it's a really good one. So 
Otherwise, that was the K cut. Otherwise, uh, you know, recently converted into the Liam Neeson fan base, and uh, we are now going into the uh, the L cut, and the L does not stand for Liam. I promise.